Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland, and you are listening live. There is no future of education policy because education policy has been scrapped. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, the curse of us and technology, I think, has got back to us. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, apologies for that kind of dodgy uh, start. It's just up to one o'clock now. On a quite a wintry day in Derbyshire, Brent, have you been out and about today? I have. I have seen the big man himself. I have definitely seen him. He, uh, he, he recommends that I am on the good list. I am not on the naughty list. Okay. Uh, I took my, my, my children to see uh, Santa Claus in a windmill. In, in part of rural Derbyshire, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and it was really cool. And, and they were very charming as always. They're, they're terrible to us, but they're really charming to strangers. Um, isn't it always funny how kids are nervous around Santa Claus? Did yeah. you have that problem when your kids were younger? Um, I think it's just the kind of anticipation. So there's like, like anticipation, anticipation, nervousness, you know, I mean, genuine fear, I guess, if you're not going to get your get what you want from yeah. I mean we, 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 we took them on a on one of those fantastic train rides, one of those sort of Santa Claus train rides. Mm. Um as soon as Santa Claus came anywhere near my, my children, it was like basically screaming at him. Yeah. Because he was uh you know scary. So I, I wonder is that something that's that's perfectly normal. Um <laughs> you, you know my version of Santa Claus was a whole lot different to these days versions of Santa Claus because yeah. Our version of Santa Claus was doom and gloom. You know, he knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Pretty much for six months of my life, I was threatened with Santa Claus is not coming. Santa Claus is not coming. Santa Claus is not coming. You'd be naughty. And you sort of think about that and go, wow. Some pure gaslighting from your parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not one to kind of get right, really, isn't it? As well as uh, what point you tell that story, <laughs> as well to the world children. And uh, yeah. we've we've had a conversation because it's definitely one of the things with my uh, younger daughter where the socialize the lack of socialization over COVID, yeah. that COVID gap. Um, you know, they 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 that their age group is particularly stalled, and it's great because they hold their innocence for a bit longer. And they can have these stories and. Uh, you know the, the the magic of Christmas is is still there, um, but it's it's one of the things that obviously shows because of the lack of socialisation around um, COVID as well, and you know that will always be a theme I think for the next couple of shows, won't it? About what what that gap is, how it's going to be filled, and uh, it certainly leads us on to the the news this week about the um, the white paper being scrapped, dropped. We were just talking before we what is the right language. For a government that just doesn't do anything, is it scrapped? Is it just not doing anything? Is it um, dropping something? Is it just not doing stuff? I mean, what? Well, what I suppose is, what language do you use for for something now? I, I suppose the thing of it is, is it's postponed. Mothballed is another yeah, one. mothballed. Yeah. Um, and, and mothballed is an interesting one because it's it's what you have with airplanes that are chucked out to the middle of the Nevada desert. I love those photographs of you know fleets of B fifty two bombers. And, and what it means is that they can be brought back at any stage. 
and I and I don't like that situation. Um, I don't like that situation because some people could be they could be in a situation where they are, you know, um, waiting for something to happen that doesn't. I, I, I get it simple. So there's 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 a lot of language about this is scrapped, but I guess just don't go you tend to go around in circles. Something that might be scrapped may actually come back later on as 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 a policy for somebody else. And if this does happen over over time, you do get a situation where people um sort of think, oh, we've done that, and then it's done and dusted, and the policy is is no longer. And then all of a sudden, it's oh, actually we're going to bring this back. And and if you've been in education as long as we both have, you see that things do consolidate. Interesting looking at this was there was a lot of um, news stories in the last couple of weeks or I think the new education minister got in the carpet um, a lot longer than previous education yeah, I mean, ministers. I mean, this, this, is, this is now one of the longest. <laughs> We've got one of the longest serving education yes, ministers right. in living record. Yeah. A couple of weeks they've lasted. <laughs> I mean, a merry-go-round that was the education department has now settled down and, and maybe they have uh, had a bit of a, a look at what their vision is for education. And at the moment, it's obvious that you know, the opposition political party has their vision for education, which we're still struggling to get our heads around. Yeah. Their big headline was about the taxing of private schools. But looking between both political parties, I don't really see at present a kind of a blurite equivalent of what we got in the 1990s. I don't see, I mean, Nushi Sunak said himself that there is a silver bullet you know, to help level up economy and et cetera, education be it. So there's a lot of food moves. But there isn't, it seems, uh, I, I would say, actually, minutiae of detail yet. So there's ideological stuff being sounded out. And looking at the news stories, you can see there is, okay, no more new grammar schools, but we're not going to scrap the existing ones. Okay, we support private education, but we're going to tax VAT private education. So you're seeing a lot of skirting around. The private, um, the, the education bill that was scrapped was going to push for eventually every school to be part of a multi-academy trust and that was scrapped but that's not to say they're not going to continue with the policy but not formally continue with the policy so multi-academy trusts are here to stay and what it leads to is a very confusing education sector that has various different types of schools and where you are in the country might mean you get a grammar school a private school a good grammar school um you might get, you know, a, a good comprehensive that's part of NAT or a faith-based comprehensive part of NAT. It's an absolute minefield, and yet nobody seems to want to take the bull by the horns and actually sit down and root and branch think, what are we trying to achieve with education policy? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those kind of classic arguments that definitely we've had recently. We had some training. I think the trainer uh, started the training talking about um, swans, and how it's easier to lead and to go in the same direction if you all know what you're doing. I think this is one of the problems that's um, certainly in the last five years has been problematic in schools is kind of what is what is the objective? What is it that we're trying to um, you know have for the children, have for society, have for the economy now? Because that's the big thing that's that's shown the impact is what is the impact on the economy of this lack of skills we're starting to see that coming through with our uh, growth rates really poor across compared to other countries um, and we both obviously now we're seeing it from the kind of bottom end as well aren't we? our kids are in school and we're kind of look i'm looking at the stuff they're coming home with 
And uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is stuff that I did at school nearly 30 years ago. However, you know, the whole society has moved on. Um, but there's not there's not been a kind of overarching kind of strategy in terms of what we're doing for for, for years. Would you reckon? I mean, when was the last time there was a big? I mean, you mentioned Blair education, 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 and those kind of big standout policies there. Um, was it was it was, did Cameron kind of skirt the? Yeah, I suppose David, David Cameron. You, you know, he he valued education, mm. and, and 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 although I was not a big fan of him. I certainly now I'm looking back at the halcyon days before. <laughs> I mean, is it me or I have to ask myself two questions. Am I in education long enough and have become more cynical? Or has things deteriorated? And it's a little bit, it might be a little, a little bit of both. And it's the same with like the school you're in. If you're in a school like mine for such a long time that I'm in, you know, you have to evolve and you have to constantly change with the times. That means that education has to change with the times. However, here comes the caveat. There are some things in education that never, ever should change. And I often say this when, you know, when, when people will have a go at me being not the greatest a planner in the world. And I'm not. I'm never, gonna, I'm never going to be that teacher. I'm, I'm more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-underpants type teacher. And then I go and, and something comes out organically. And I love that about teaching is that you don't have to have a set way of doing things. But over, over my course of my career I've had to adopt new ideas new strategies take take things on board and adapt and I think some of the new ideas are brilliant some of the new ways of teaching are brilliant some of them are, are absolute fads and we've seen fads come and go haven't we we've seen things come in and you go this this will never work but I don't get the sense that there is an overall direction of travel I don't get the sense that there is a vision or a plan for education and that's ironic because as I've got older and my responsibilities have changed I've had to change how I plan, and now I plan that far ahead. But when somebody comes along and says to me, oh, sorry, we're doing something different, I start to get a little bit angry, which is a bit of a, it's going to be ironic, people have known me for years, but I have a right chuckle about this. But I, I get really sort of annoyed with it, because I'm, I, I planned all this. And it's things like, you know, planning my lower school scheme of work to assist my upper school scheme of work. And then halfway through your course, somebody comes around and says, no, 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 no changing this. But I geared up a certain way, and it's like all of a sudden we're, we're teaching children a knowledge based It's not for scrapping that and think, but what about all those years that we taught children a certain way? All of a sudden they get scrapped. And I just feel that there is too much ideological sometimes and none of evidence based education. And it's unfortunately a political football which leads to education policy being driven by ideological needs rather than actually what we believe is needed uh, and that's in, in turn i find it interesting that the the, the school's bill uh, which was a flagship policy by the way was scrapped and by another name you call that a u-turn now the unions are happy about that because they protested against it because the unions are opposed to what the academy trusts. Now, I'm not, and Adam and I discussed this, and we don't want to get too into the minefield of what the academy trusts, because we are where we are. And some of us work in multi academy trusts, and some multi academy trusts are good multi academy trusts. Some multi academy trusts can do better, and some multi academy trusts have been found out. Yeah, know, there's a bell curve, like any, like any system. Yeah. There's a bell curve of good, meet, I guess most, most are. Most are just trying, and it is this is no this is no reflection of the people involved at all. They're trying to manage a, a system um, that, in some cases, kind of working against them as well to try try and get 
to try and get through. Um, but yeah, so you're right, so there's that bell curve of uh, very poor attaining academy trusts. Um, you know, the majority of schools obviously fall within the middle, and there's some excellent examples as well. And um, I think there's, there's one thing we can discuss later, really, maybe because we're going to go on to uh, faith-based education next week. We still yes. want to do that, don't we? Sorry, we did mention it last week that we we're going to go on to it this week, but uh, we just wanted to get it right. We wanted to see if we can get a guest um, to contribute as well, because I think it's a really important one. It is, it is that there, there are now a, a field, I guess, of so many different types of schools. Um, and it goes back to that question sometimes for parents you know, where do I send my child? As well, we've mentioned that last week, didn't we, about where do we send our child? What are all these things about? Does anyone really explain all the technicalities of what an academy is, what a faith-based school is, what a free school is, what a independent school is, what a kind of private school is, what a UTC is like where I am, what is a, um, you know, um, these kind of hybrid schools that do a little bit of selection based on socioeconomic kind of banding. They take in different bits, you know, the kind of the Landau Forte type groups mm-hmm. kind of do that. Does, do, you know, so, I mean, it's not a minefield, isn't it, for a parent? If you're trying to think, right, where do I send my child? And it's a geographical, yeah. absolute postcode lottery because it changes from county to county, location to location. And, and that does mean in a country the size of England, your standards can vary massively mm. and again I, I point to the learning the lessons learned during covid that we saw the rogue algorithm was just not able to you were trying to impose a standardized algorithm and a mathematical equation on a completely randomized education and that's why that i believe that rogue algorithm was there because there are human factors you can never call into play. And that's the thing with education. They're, they're always trying to say league tables and standardization. But there's so many variables. You're dealing with children, for starters. You're dealing with um, different backgrounds, different locations. And I, I think there needs to be a, a bigger conversation about the inherited education system that seems to be added to, added to, added to. And over, over generations, we are where we are with a very convoluted, confusing and, and dare I say it, unfair education system, which seems to discriminate against some and, and obviously advantage others. And those who are culturally capital enough, aware enough, driven, motivated enough, and who have advantages, therefore know how to gain a system like our education system. And therefore, as a result of that, we see outcomes which are leading to um, undesirable outcomes in society where we have areas of the country where uh, children can't read and write. I mean, how, how is it possible some children go to education system in the sixth wealthiest country in the world and not read and write? But then I'll point to this little news story. I like this one. You, you, you're going to like this one. This is my news story number 27. And because uh, I, I like going through the news and finding some of my um, news stories. You know, you know in schools well, when they say, uh, don't do death by PowerPoint. I mean, if you, if you had the view that I had now. <laughs> Uh, this one's really good, right? Okay, so, but this PowerPoint is a good PowerPoint. It's not the um, 2004-2005 PowerPoints we used to have at school. We still had to come flying in from the... Well, it was <laughs> that MPs um, had to sit some exam questions mm. that the, the children, uh, I think 10-year-old children, and quite a lot of our MPs actually um, failed. Mm. So, so they actually, they, 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 couldn't, they, they couldn't actually pass... The questions 
and I was I was again involved in a, a discussion last night national radio. Of, you know, should our MPs have um, a qualification, or should they test their MPs before they get into Parliament? And it was an interesting conversation of like, well, they, they could not do what some of our year 10 did. They, they didn't have particularity or numeracy. And it was finding out some of the MPs just basically would not have the skills of our average 10 or 11 year old child. Here, George, I'm here. So it's the, yeah. uh, can't find it. So it was in the Daily Mail. Um, 12 MPs failed math SATs test, uh, which 71% of year six is passed. Half missed the mark of spelling and grammar which is what 72% uh, passed. Um, and the, the final, the quote from Labour's um, Emma Hardy said, results show um, tests are harmful for students. Or does it, or to just say the students is better than MPs? Well, but isn't <laughs> that the point? I mean, you, 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 there you have by one measure, our children are outperforming our MPs. Now, you, now many, people, <laughs> many people in the general public might yeah. have a chuckle about that and go, that's about right. But doesn't it tell you? And it opened up a conversation I had with the presenter, who was my generation, my age, and, and he was lamenting and saying, "Children now, you know, they learn to the exam." And I said, "Well, they do, but at the same time, these children are doing more exams than I do at their age. They are, in many ways, more intelligent than I was." But I also made the point: the standard of teacher that I am is I am a lot better than the standard of teacher that taught me. And that's no disrespect to my my former teachers. Some of them. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you, wouldn't wouldn't pass in the current education system because it was taking a book and read. And it was literally, you know, but then the emphasis, here's the thing, the emphasis was on the child. I failed my 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 exams, it wasn't the school or it wasn't me, it was the child and my parents who had to take responsibility. And I think we've gone a bit too far now, where everybody's it's the school. And I think that was the, the the crux of our last our last um broadcast was you know the, the life changes and how you can change your life and how your life can be altered by the decision to make to go to a different school and i do think schools are a rescuing factor which can influence and change your outcomes but also you yourself the child plus your parents are also the rescuing factor and in the end when it comes down to it we elect the people in the country to make decisions some of them wouldn't pass the exams or children would but we still elect them all the same and they in turn make decisions that we vote for because in, in the end it's a democracy and when political parties come up with policy when they get elected they institute those policies of which they say they have a mandate to institute so sorry to put this on to the great british public we are we are with education mm. because of the decisions that the british people have made as regards education now if they want to yeah. change education policy they have a route to change it so that's why we will see these policies driven towards a certain end. And unfortunately, I do think sometimes they are deemed towards a certain individual who votes certain ways. And I think that's where, unfortunately, our education policy is not for all. It is then used as a way to manipulate people. Yeah, to, to form a narrative with a, with to a vote. To form a yeah. narrative to vote. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's not what is healthy for our children, because that means that they are a narrow group of individuals in society who are openly mobile, who happen to go to the ballot box, mm -hmm. will dictate an education policy for the majority. Yeah. So, so how many people vote as a percentage UK? There's 49 million registered voters. Of that, about 
60, 60 odd percent of people actually vote in a general election. Right. And then the winning party would get... 35 to 40 percent. Okay. It, it was a huge margin last time of 40 percent, which secured 59 percent of the seats. Yeah. So, so, you're, so you're saying that um, 30 odd percent of the country basically dictate the narrative less than that less than that dictate you, the narrative of education you're two to three million floating voters which always makes me think of people flying in the air um, <laughs> if there are two to three million floating voters tend to decide which way the political parties go mm-hmm. and a lot of the policies sometimes are directed towards those two to three million floating voters who happen to be so we, yeah. we, we, we call that kind of overton window that kind of yeah. that kind of gap yeah, yeah. And, and because some people will always vote certain ways, in some areas it doesn't really matter. But it's also where does education come mm-hmm. as regards policies? Where does it come in the ranking order of you know priorities? It comes, uh, economy comes tops of mm-hmm. priorities. Then it's the NHS. And then it's, you know, defence and, and you've got, um, I think education is about fifth or sixth. Yeah. It's, it's mid-table. But, 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 but I think what we're seeing right at the minute is where where the Venn diagram hits, isn't it? We're having economic problems. We're having health issues. Skills shortage. Skills shortage. Yeah. Because of education problems. Do you Which, know what I mean? I, th- I think I think this is where maybe maybe politicians haven't really kind of got a grasp of this. Is that they're all interlinked because they haven't thought. Here's the animal. They haven't thought like we do to think long term mm. strategically. Yeah, strategically. We as teachers think of long-term strategic. I've got a child at year seven. Yeah. I want to get them through the year eleven. I'm going to be their history teacher. I've got five years to get them mm-hmm. ready. That's right. But five years to educate them. So I can see their transition. And I will pitch my work to them at a certain level, a certain age, scaffold it, do my ZPD, do my Vygotsky. You know, I won't, you know, it's like a maths teacher <laughs> won't start with algebra if they can't count. We know how to build up over time a child and not just work upon their academic but work on the soft skills work on the personality you know by the time they get the year nine they hit everybody because mm. the hormones kick in and the adolescent brain kicks in when they're 14. so we know this and we plan accordingly over a long period of time to get the outcome that we want that's mm. what good good teachers do don't we we, 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 we long term strategically think about that our governments are set up for four year cycles four or five year cycles where they go let's we'll do this policy now score some runs and then move on, and then the next next group come in. And what I'm suggesting there is, and it's 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 not trying to be too political. And what I'm trying to say is, mm. our policies are directed by the needs of the party in charge, and that would be the same for any of the political parties that have been in charge in this country. And therefore, as a result, education is a constantly changing mosaic, depending on the priorities of that political party to whatever group in society they're trying to court or win over. And the classic, most classic example of that was Blur, Education, 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 yeah. which appealed to middle-class voters who wanted their children to go to university and who had aspirations. And they keep all, I'm the party of aspiration. I'm the party of aspiration. I'm the party of aspiration. It's like, stand up if you're the party of aspiration. And everybody claims to be the, the party of aspiration yeah. and meritocracy. Yeah, there's currently the, I am part of the party of perspiration. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality that they do make policies and sometimes they do make good policies yeah. and that's that goes for all the political parties sometimes they have and sometimes they get good education ministers sometimes you don't but it's the constant pot looking and, and, and the constant kind of right here's the next person coming in here's their here's their emphasis and then it filters into Ofsted and then Ofsted filters down to us so we're yeah. like all of a sudden constantly oh whoa, 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 whoa. New, new, new idea new idea and you're like what what are we doing here yeah 
But the basics of education should never be changed. The basics about education are, should always be there. I mean, Socrates and myself shouldn't be too far apart. You know what I mean? The, the, the essence of what we're trying to achieve and the essence of teaching, it wouldn't matter if I'm a football coach. Mm. Take the World Cup in football. Oh, David. Come on. Well, what I'm going to say is a football coach, a football coach, Bill Shankly now, yeah. or Sir Matt Bullsby, or um, who's the manager who won the World Cup? Ralph Ramsey. Uh, Sir Ralph Ramsey. Gosh, I can't remember that. Or Jackie Charlton. Oh, I love Jackie Oh, Charlton. come on. But the basics of Jackie Charlton, Alf Ramsey, Bill Shankly, Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson. What was the basic? Do you tell me now that Alex Ferguson wasn't a manager now, he'd still mm. be successful? Mm-hmm. But what is Alex Ferguson? He was a role model. He was a teacher. He was a, he was a coach. Yeah, he was a teacher. There was a, there, Arsene Wenger was a teacher. Yeah. Jared Julia was a teacher. A lot of the, a lot of football managers. Tell me that if you didn't have a class and your classroom teacher was Jurgen Klopp, oh my word! Could you imagine Jurgen Klopp as your teacher? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> he would, but of course he would be amazing. Yeah. But that's the thing. A good football manager, Gareth Southgate last night. God bless him. First thing he did went over and he spoke to, to he spoke to Harry Kane. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I knew the conversation was going to be like, I know what it feels like, mate. And you looked at the two of them and you thought, that's classy. Well done, Gareth Southgate. Well done. You know Harry Kane's what he's going through. You can empathise with him. And he knows it too. And it was very classy from the manager. And that, you can see, was good management. That, that wouldn't matter what generation you're from. It's the same with education. Education is always going to be education. The purpose of it is to improve children, develop children, give them skills. But in the meantime... There is a bunch of people constantly making policy, constantly trying to, to change things and constantly making promises. And unfortunately, I think quite often they make unattainable promises that are difficult to achieve in order to score points. And it's the same across a lot of policy areas from transport, health, living and something. Education is no different. But what it has left us with is a mosaic, a very hodgepodge education system, which works in some ways. And then us at the centre, us teachers, trying to jury-rig it, trying to work between the lines, mm. trying to sometimes ignore this, sometimes embrace this, mm. sometimes kind of like being forced to do things that we don't ideologically agree with ourselves. Because each one of us, as, as, as practitioners, as professionals, are encouraged to do CPD. And there's nothing worse than the cognitive dissonance of a teacher being asked to do something in a school that completely flies in the face of their own educational philosophy, mm. Or completely flies in the face of all the evidence of all the educationalist, you know, pedagogy books they've read, and yet they're being. I'm sorry, we have to do this way because you know, and it feels a bit yeah. like. Well, the the only headline always is to raise standards, isn't it? But it's quite it's quite as as a as a as a practicing teacher on the ground, it's quite hard to kind of well, obviously, you know, we we all want that, don't we? No, no one wants the standards to drop. No one wants the child to be um, disaffected disadvantaged well just like a football manager doesn't want to lose brilliant all right should we go to the news and we'll we'll come back to that so uh, there's a couple of people just joining the um the live room so welcome everybody uh please feel free to uh make comments um we've got a sound of dodger today uh whatever the dodger is go on dodger um and so always please feel free to call in it'd be great to um actually for us to See what that button does. <laughs> we know what that button. I think it would just happen for for us to have the pie wine in the back of the. Yeah, cool. So we're going to we're going to go to the news and then we'll be back with you shortly.
This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. TES Magazine reported on news that Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said that the proposed schools bill will not progress in this parliamentary session. The bill itself was originally launched in May this year and covered a range of areas including school attendance, safeguarding and new powers over multi-academy trusts. Ms Keegan spoke at the Commons Education Select Committee, confirming that the Schools Bill will not progress in the third session. She also said her department remained committed to the objectives and would be prioritising some aspects of the Bill. Of the aspects of the Bill Ms Keegan stated she wanted to focus on, she identified the need for a register to identify an account for children not in schools, as well as helping more faith schools join multi-academy trusts. One area not seen as a priority, however, was the creation of more grammar schools, with Ms Keegan stating her strong views that 93% of children will never get to go to one, and the belief that the academy structure remains the route to make the biggest difference to the most children the quickest. The Mirror Online carries a story about Labour MP Zara Sultana's proposal to widen the free school meal scheme in primary schools across England. Under the plans, all primary pupils would get access to free school meals. The current scheme for universal free school meals ends in year two. The article suggests that under the current plan, around 800,000 children living in poverty miss out on free meals due to the strict eligibility criteria. Ms Sultana will bring forward a bill in the coming week. The MP for Coventry South said it was a major issue when families simply can't afford everyday groceries and that providing meals for school was another strain. She went on to point out that both Scottish and Welsh governments have plans to introduce universal free school meals but accused the government in England of prioritising tax breaks for the wealthiest people. Warwickshire World Online News site reports on the arrival of delegates from around the world to a conference focusing on developing technical education. More than 50 visitors attended the event organised by the British Council at Warwick Trident College. The college is part of the WCG group. Guests arrived from a range of countries in Africa and Asia, with delegations including government ministers and education officials. A spokesperson for the WCG said technical education is one of the key pillars of a successful developing economy. 
and that the hope was that delegates would take away some insights which will have a positive impact on their country's developments in technical and vocational training. The latest Sunday Times Schools Guide has been released and many local news outlets are reporting on the successes of schools in their surrounding areas. Northern Ireland outlets report that the guide has rated seven secondary schools in the national top 50, calling this a significant achievement in light of the nation's comparatively small population. It was acknowledged that several of the Northern Ireland schools mentioned in the list have been described as highly selective grammar schools, with the DUP's Diane Dodds noting that whilst Northern Ireland is punching above its weight, there will always be areas where improvements can be made. She went on to point out that the list as a whole is dominated by expensive fee-paying schools. Finally, Keele University has launched the UK's first law undergraduate degree designed to help tackle the climate crisis. The new course in Law with Environmental Sustainability is the first of its kind in the UK. It has been developed to create legal professionals with a good knowledge of environmental obligations on governments and communities. Professor Alison Brammer, head of the School of Law at Keele said, the climate crisis affects everyone and we need legal professionals who understand the issues we face. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So that was uh, quite quite interesting. I felt um, some of those news stories, which are directly relevant and also directly relevant to one of the previous podcasts we had, but certainly um, I found it interesting that the schools in Northern Ireland that they that some of them actually are, are known to be they, they are um, on ability, not ability to pay. There's a bit of a difference there, although there is the eleven plus system or the transfer test system. So it does come with a caveat again that there, although it is a selection, the selection is on ability. Uh, and it does lead to positive outcomes. So it is something that took me a while to get used to when I transferred over to England 20 odd years ago and started teaching here and um, getting my head around, obviously, the different education system. And then again, there's a different education system in Scotland. Mm. So you've got, you know, a different education system in Northern Ireland, different education system in Scotland, and then in England and Wales, you've got a separate system. And, and, and it's meant to be the United Kingdom. And even in that, you, you get the regional variations, you get the, the local variations, it just sort of feeds into that point overall point yeah. I keep wanting to make about the fact that we don't have a top down. You know, when you look at the lead tables of, of a country, should you just separate out Scotland from the rest of the UK? Should you separate Northern Ireland and say, look, well, okay, Northern Ireland's part of the United Kingdom, but its education system's not. And and therefore, you know, should it be if you re, if you were to treat Northern Ireland or Scotland and England and Wales as separate entities, I wonder where they would be in the lead. It'd be an interesting yeah. piece of work. I'm sure there should maybe a, a broadcast on that somewhere. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I, I, well, I think it brings in what we talked about earlier about all the different types of schools in the UK. Um, excuse my ignorance, Brent. Can you just go, kind of just quickly go through Northern Ireland? What is what is the general? Because obviously Scotland has hires and mm. a, a different kind of exam system. Well, the, what, what is the system? The North and the South are different. They're, mm. they're very, very different. The South, they have their, what's called Leaving Cert at 17, mm. which is their our equivalent of A-levels at 17 mm. rather than 16, so they don't have the GCSEs. Northern Ireland follows the same system. Right, so so, so to that, the key difference is they spend a year longer within the kind of secondary They do side in, in the Republic of Ireland, yeah, but, they, but they do exams a year later, mm-hmm. and they do seven rather than three or four A-levels. The North of Ireland is in many ways similar to the UK in the sense that you still have, you know, 11 to 
year seven, mm. you, you've got your secondary school, one to six is your, your primary schools, etc. And then you've got your, your GCSEs and your A-levels. But what is different is about the location of the schools that people go to. There are a couple of um, private schools, but the bulk majority of people attend either a comprehensive or a selective grammar school. The difference is the grammar school is based upon uh, an exam called the selection exam. Mm-hmm. And it used to be the 11 plus, but they felt that the old 11 plus, which was like your, your basically your cognitive test, mm-hmm. wasn't producing the, the outcomes. It's the one I failed because it was like, John lives next door to Jim, Jim lives next door to Paul. <laughs> and I'm like, I was the kind of kid going, I can tell you the capital of Madagascar is yeah. Antanarivo. Yeah. I can tell you what that science is. and, and, and But I never was gained enough to yeah. go. And, they, and people could be game to it. So that yeah. transfer test used to separate people from um, a secondary school, which is equivalent to an English comprehensive, yeah. versus a grammar school. And the whole idea was, it's a bit like having sets in a school, yeah. you, your top sets and your middle sets and your bottom sets. But even within my, my, my secondary school, my comprehensive secondary school, there was still setting going on. So people, there's a lot more streaming in Northern Ireland um, and a lot more streaming and where people could uh, go to a grammar school and some of the grammar schools in Northern Ireland uh, took in a huge amount of people from impoverished backgrounds. Mm. So there is a definite um, difference in the sense of access to education was less about your economic background and more about your actual academic ability. However, the weakness of that was it could be gamed like everything else, but also the other weakness is some people develop later in life like myself. Yeah. And therefore, what you had is a situation where some people were going to the grammar school too early, peaking too early, or getting fed up with being pushed all the time and, and you know, push, push, push at grammar schools, because they are more pushing, because um, they have a reputation. Um, whereas at secondary school, you've got more freedom to develop at your own time, which yeah. suited me. Um, but the other side of that is is that there was this idea always that those that failed 11 plus um, were seen as lesser people. You know, in second yeah, class, yeah, yeah. not as clever, and a lot of the kids would do that too. They'd say, "Oh, you, you, you go to the stupid school with the stupid kids," and I, and I will say it's left an ideological tracer on me. That it's one of the reasons why I've always had this conversation with people about sets versus not sets, and I've always been against setting children because again, it goes back to my philosophy of, of you know, I embrace the Carol Dweck scenario of the self fulfilling prophecy. For many of my friends that went to the secondary school, they were made to feel inferior. They were made to feel as if they weren't clever. And they were judged at 11 years old. And I, th- I think that was too early for some people to be judged. In my instance, it didn't bother me because my parents overrode it and said, don't worry about some. You get your exams next time. So I had a, a supportive family who almost said, ah, you, we know you'll get there. And they supported me through it. And it didn't, it didn't stop it hurting. I tell you, it was one of the most traumatic days of my life was feeling that 11 plus because I had to face up to people, even the other my cousins. And it didn't make you feel good about yourself. And I didn't say I would have lost my confidence. It did knock me back. When I got my GCSEs, which were decent GCSEs, and then went on and got really good A-levels, there was an element where I I remember, I forget the conversation when I was in getting my uh, exam grades the day before a lot of people in the other grammar schools. Uh, My my grammar school had given me the, the grades the day before. And I was in the pub uh, celebrating with my friends and I overheard a conversation with somebody in the background going, how did he get that? He went to the stupid school with the stupid kids. And that's what how harsh that is when you are at that age kind of already sort of suggesting here are the clever people and you are not. And, and of course, 
one of the things I've tried in education always is to give every child the opportunity regardless of the perceived level of ability. That's why, you know, when I do peer and self-assessment, I will take the child's name off the peer work. Mm. And sometimes it's interesting that, you you know, the children might go with preconceptions about certain children's ability. Um, so that's what you have in, in Northern Ireland. It is a very successful system, but it's not a perfect system. And it does have some social trade-offs uh, of which, you know, it has, again, like every other system, it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. But overall, it does seem to produce, as that news story was suggesting, um, what, what you're looking for. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're looking for a success story. And, and I suppose the irony is I'm a success story myself out of that education system because I went to the grammar school and I was able to go to a grammar school at 16. Mm. And it was not because my parents had money. My dad's a plasterer, mum's a housewife. So as much as I, I could criticise elements of the system, I'm a success story because of it, but not because of the school. I think, again, it's down to the values and the virtues of my parents yeah. overriding that. But, but, but I guess the question is always um, kind of what is success, isn't it? And that, that, that's what's never been kind of very clear to me is what is success. You know, success for one person is, you know, getting a set of A stars. Success for another person is getting through the whole system. Success for some people is learning some key life skills. Um, you know what? What is success? And it's interesting. Um, a documentary series on BBC at the minute with uh, Amal Rajan, uh, the um, how to crack the glass uh, ceiling, mm. uh, which I thought was interesting. The week, kind of how is it? Is it schools need to uh, teach a certain class code? Is that what a school is mm. to teach that? So that there was there was all these people like there was there was a girl from. Um, woman sorry from nottingham and she got the qualifications success um she got the um the right experience success she had the confidence success was she able to finally become a barrister no because at the last minute this thing called class just dwarfed all that and um during her ceremony in nottingham to um you know pick up a kind of qualification Somebody actually came up to her in the in the in the in the, in the arena and said, "Oh, I, I, hear, I hear you've got a kind of regional accent. You probably you kind of basically say you probably won't get very far as a barrister." Like straight away on the day that she picked up the um, certificate, um, so it was made abundantly clear to her that 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 all that success for her was to become a barrister. She'd done all those steps, but at the last minute. It was just taken away from her. Um, I mean, kind of, anyone that kind of you go and watch it uh, for yourselves, because that was kind of my takeaway. Is that again, what is success? I, you know, average to high qualifications. Um, however, what I was left with from secondary education was edu- was confidence, and that confidence probably has taken me further than the qualifications themselves. That soft skill. That soft skill. Mm. Um, so would I have been in the same position with kind of slightly lower grades? Probably. At the time, my parents were looking at success as kind of qualifications. However, as it happens, the fact that I've been able to kind of, you know, do this, do a radio show, talk talk to um, loads of people over the years, be able to stand up in, pe- in front of people, has all come from kind of confidence rather than the actual qualifications themselves. Um, and going back to kind of what we said about MPs, I do homework now with my daughter this morning 
I can't answer the stuff on that. But I, but I, but I, but During I, but lockdown, did yeah. you see some of the stuff coming home from primary? <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, yeah, it's you know, phonetics, it's phonetics is witchcraft sometimes yeah. to me, especially with a regional accent. But imagine, I mean, I, I leave the phonetics to my wife because I think with my regional accent. Her child will go back in the school and start phonetically doing things a little bit different. I mean, that's a, there's an interesting thing with phonetics. Does yeah. it work? Like it I said, that, yeah. I said that my, my colleague is a French teacher. Out there going, do, do, do I realise when I speak French, do I speak French with a Northern Irish accent? Well, well we, we, we've literally had this conversation. <laughs> we've had this conversation this week because um, we have... Um, um, a lot of EAL students, mm. and it's not—it's not necessarily the um, just the words. Um, it's the kind of the the contextual understanding of those words as well, uh, which kind of you know hinders a lot of students. Um, and then it's the whole cultural thing about kind of qualifications. The conversation we had this week was that a lad who had been largely educated in Pakistan um, and had got through their kind of system comes into our school as a you know high achiever but all of a sudden he's like whoa what's going on here because it's just it's just so different how yeah. so he's kind of in a bit of a sh- in shock mode at the minute yeah uh, a genuine shock mode of uh, i thought i was going to be all right yeah working the way i was currently working but this system's so different yes um so again it's it's the, it's that meaning of education is so it's, it, it's, it's 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 laced within the context of the people the culture, and I think that's what we've got to get to in the end. Is I think schools can help. Yeah, but I think going back to it, my school in some ways I learned how to fight, and I'm not talking physically. I'm going to stay quiet on that. It was the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. Um, but I learned how to stand up for myself. I learned that through failure, and this is the key thing, through failure comes deferred success. Mm. It's that idea of picking yourself back up with the canvas. It's that idea of, it's the Rocky mentality. And I love my Rocky movies. Oh, it's that desire of, you, you hit me down. It's the Labry Siffy, you know, <laughs> something inside so strong, you know, I know what I can make it. And, and, and that, for me, is what education journey has to be. Some people have get knocked down once. Some people get knocked down all the time. It's 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 getting back up again. I, I'd say I get that my, knocked down. I get up, up again. again. <laughs> I never keep it down. Yeah, and I have so many examples of a lot of my friends like that. I mean, my best friend, for instance, he failed his he failed his GCSE English three times. He had to go back to school, and then we discovered later on in life that he, he, he's got a special educational needs. You know, and of course it was obvious, but that was never going to be picked up because the assumption was, oh well. I remember my, my teacher turned around and to him and I going, oh, you might pass your exam on a good day. You, you know, you've got no chance. And that's what we were up against. We were up against kind of like, you're on your own. Mm. And, I, and there I am recently looking at, at, at exam results and saying, what part do I play in the child's exam results? Actually, I play a significant proportion to a certain extent, but I'm not the deciding factor. And I think schools are now seen as, as kind of resolving everything. And, and, and again, when you're making policies, you've got to say to yourself, these promises about driving up standards, the more exams, and it seems that they always seem to come out with more rather than better quality. Or it's all about the data, not about the person. And we both agree on this, that yeah. the things that defined me was not on statistics. I remember my university lecture as a social scientist and I got to university at 18 and he sat down 
um, we had a really good conversation and, 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 and he, he got to know me and he says, look, tell me your story. And then he crunched the numbers and says, statistically speaking, you shouldn't be at university. I says, what do you mean? He says, well, look at your parents' background. I look at the fact you failed 11 plus. I look at the fact of your background. And, and it was one of those like, wow, okay, put it all together then. And he was saying, statistically speaking, I should have been at university. Hmm. But why was I there? I was there because I overrid all of those statistics. I had a student a couple of years ago when I had a school improvement partner in, and he came around the classroom and looked at and look at this child working today. Oh, he's a level four. Not a chance of this kid for level four. He's a level nine. He can't be. Because the, the, the grades, the Fisher Family Trust, or whatever this data they spit out, told him that this child was pupil premium, free school meals, kid group, all of those tick, 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 tick. Uh, postcode tick, 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 tick. His raw data told him that child was a level four, maybe level five on a best day. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, that child is not. That child has all got the motivation, the fire, the hunger, the desire. I'm looking at mini version of me a couple of years ago. And I can see exactly what this kid's going to do in a year's time. And I can see what direction he's going. I can see at the moment is where it isn't doing it. But I know, I can see it. I can see this child developing. And I had to override and say, no, I'm not putting down that, that grade. That child is going to do it. And guess what the child got? Level nine. Level nine. Still couldn't read his work some days. <laughs> but you just know it, don't you? You just know the success of some people is built upon those those things that they've got, those hidden skills, those mm. deeper hidden skills. Yeah, yeah. And too so often the X factor in terms of yeah, education. And too often we're driven towards, you know, going towards the data. Going back to the schools bill. Um, Gillian Keegan admitted that the schools bill introduced this year with a promise to raise education standards across England has been dropped, which sounds pretty bad because then we're going to agree, we're going to have this flagship policy which is going to raise education standards. And there it is again. It's as if the standards are low. Oh, we're going to raise standards, raise standards. I feel schools are a bit like a business. They have to constantly make a profit. Yeah. The business is breaking even, it's not doing well. It's this idea of marketization of education. That, you know, unless schools lead tables are always on top, then they're somehow failing. And you you know this to be true. You, you taught in a school 15 years mm. in a community. That was a really good school that serviced at that community. Yeah. And for me, the only thing that happened at that school wasn't that all of a sudden the teachers became bad. wasn't all of a sudden that the pupils in the area became bad. It was they calculated the league tables differently, they changed the exam syllabuses to be less vocational, and they undermined the school that was an engineering and technical type school that was sending kids of a working class nature with skills and who had talents, yeah. and I'm trying to make them write essays yeah. because Mr. Grove decided this is what is his ideological theory behind education. I want everybody to write essays like I did in the 1960s in a grammar school. And that school went from Yeah, just it's just no, outstanding. no time, yeah. Well, we, we literally fell through the fell through the charts, as it were. Yeah. It was almost like a kind of like we were like at one at one stage, you know, um, two thousand and eight, two thousand nine, we were the ones going out to other schools, yeah, and, outreach. And, and, and outreach and saying saying, look, this is what we're doing. You know, we had um, we had kids doing um, the land and environment because it's a rural school, mm. so doing the land and environment based uh, qualifications. Um, but they're actually on farms. They're actually spending most of their day in a farm, um, you know, birth, 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 birthing calves. So they were, they were, they were kind of actually that their, their knowledge 
and their learning and their education, if you want to put that in inverted commas, was so real, so in context, um, that they, they went on to do incredible things within, so their, within their fields. Well, again, it was what you're saying. We, we, we weren't allowed to do those qualifications because of, I guess, Ofsted. So that kid who could be in learning you know, agricultural skills in was, a farm. Was, was, was then doing kind of computer science with me. What's the last thing they wanted to be sitting in the classroom? No disrespect to you yeah, yeah. learning computer science no. because they, they were not the type of children that learn that way. Well, it's like, it wasn't necessarily about they were the type of child, but straight, straight away, they, they, the, the whole kind of um, outlook was different. They, they are then targeted because of their previous academic attainments. I am then basically telling them that they are doing this GCSE, which they kind of, you know, passively either wanted to or not wanted to, depending on the child. They then, I'm then telling them that they're only going to get a grade two, three. So then they can't really see the whole purpose of it anyway. But then during that, we're then telling them that they are below that anyway, and they're in intervention. So then, then, so the whole, the whole kind of morale and confidence of the whole place just completely fell apart. And then you're told all of a sudden, because I, so, 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 yeah, so, so, five, you're told so all of a sudden you're not good enough. So, so the conversation would have been five years ago, you're going to be a great farmer. You're going to be mm. work. You could be. You're going to do really well in agriculture, yeah. agritech, whatever. You're going to be a high flyer in that industry yeah. because of. The qualifications you've got, the experience you've had from a young age, and that hands-on understanding, the contextualization. Also had a relationship with employers like Rolls Royce. That's right. Yeah. So engineering, engineering partnerships. Yeah, yeah. So the conversation then goes from me basically like a like-for-like like child within five years, basically saying you are all the hearing is constant underachievement. You're underachieving. You're underachieving. And five nice. five years ago, you're overachieving. You're overachieving. You're overachieving. And that, motivationally, has got to have a massive impact. Yeah. It's got to have, but it then had a massive impact on the staff. Well, it's that so, morale. So, so, so staff morale yeah. went, um, and then to the point where... I think it impacted on the community. Yeah, then it starts impacting on the community, because the whole community then feels that, because the outcomes of the children, they don't have a direction either. And then children leave. Parents, socially mobile children, parents, say, okay, the standards of the school are, are dropping, Yeah, and out they go. Yeah. And they take and they take their children with them, yeah. which then damages the league league table standing again. Yeah. It's a bit like a football team losing some football players and they jump ship and do a bit another team and, and then they get relegated yeah. and you're in a downward spiral. Yeah, but Luke, but do that Venn diagram that I just talked about. Mm -hmm. You know what happens with uh, failing schools and house prices. People leave, don't they? they yeah. There's a brain drain. It's a negative that, multiplier. There's a multiple supply. Yeah. And then that impacts health outcomes. <laughs> um, you know crime. You know. Not, not 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 to touch on your other life, but you know you now know that um, that community then hasn't got the confidence to stand up to kind of other things that are happening in their area that they don't maybe want to. They don't of, vote. They don't, they vote. don't participate. Yep, yep. They they they're easily yep. bullied. They yep. they disengage. Um, they lose heart. They lose hope. Yeah. And they lose fight. So so I think this is why we're so passionate about this all the time. Is it is it, because of the the wider implications mm. of a education secretary thank god not 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 actually i think i think this is where um you know we, we've said it before you know maybe we don't maybe i said maybe inverted commas a lot of people didn't agree with kind of the goism of education however there's some you, elements but what, what, what you but what you could say about what you can say about michael go is 
there was a direction. It, there was a thing. There was, there a, was thing. a philosophy. There was a philosophy. Was a and I didn't agree with yeah. some of it. But, but where are we now? That, I, that, that's the big question. I could agree with some others. I, yeah. I, I, I benefited from, in some aspects, as a history teacher, because history is reprioritized under the baccalaureate. But then again, that's where schools got this wrong, because all of a sudden schools panicked and went, we must have kids doing, we must have kids doing English, uh, uh, geography, history, ICT, and history. And then you're like, all of a sudden there's people in my classroom and I'm going, are you intrinsically motivated? Did you take that yeah. subject GCSE? No, you yeah. have to do it because of the fact that French yeah. and language yeah. Spanish teachers were absolutely apathetic <laughs> because they had students sitting in front of them they'd never had before going, did you choose the subject? No, we have to we do have it to because do it, we yeah. have to yeah. get yeah. our baccalaureate yeah, score. Yeah. And you're like, oh no. So great idea, but in practicality, per execution. Yeah. So yes, Gold, Gold had some good ideas and and and, and, and as a, an intelligent individual, I, I think he's a very clever man. Mm. And as an education minister, you know, some of the standards he brought in, absolutely fine with that. Yeah, yeah. He, he had presence, you know, he had strength of mind, he was convictionist, parts about him I can admire. Mm. But he didn't listen to some of the evidence about, especially schools like the school we used to teach mm. him. They were fine as they were. Yeah. They didn't need to be reformed. They were doing a good job mm. considering the kids they had and the communities they had. They just needed to be given. They needed to be, that's the context of that school. That school's going to do a good job. That's all about how you measure it. Yeah. And it goes back to this this whole idea of raising education standards mm-hmm. has been dropped. She also said that the legislation uh, to the Education Select Committee, their flagship educa- education legislation, which was the school's bill, um, included plans for register of children not in school. We don't have a register of children not in school. A lot of stuff going on where people are just falling through the cracks. All what we're saying about the social ills of that mm. county lines, gangs, you know, addictions, violence, youth crime, drug, you know, it had all these things up. And society pays for these problems yeah. because these children don't have a, a quality education, which means they've got no future, got no hope, and they're easily recruited by radicalization and easily recruited into things like gangs. But then also, they don't make the right choices in life because they don't have. And then here's the here's the here's the cyclical problem. They themselves, when they start have children, they're not able to pass on to them their children their values and virtues, and that then leads to this cyclical problem in some communities. Breaking the cycle mm. is difficult because you have a generation of young people there that have just been falling through the cracks, and I think that's a massive massive problem we need to get a handle on. And um, what we also saw as well is is that the big thing about this was is that they, they plan to have every school join the multi-academy first by 2003. That's a big figure of all schools must be multi-academy trusts. And I know that's where the the fight is going to be, because I think where we're at at the moment is, is that the low-hanging fruit of multi-academy trusts is kind of now being exhausted. You're now into the, I think you're into the schools that would resist and the communities that would resist. And I know that I've spoken to some of my friends who have got children in, especially primary schools. And when I mentioned, you know, would you want your child in a multi-academy trust, there was an absolute daggers at dawn, not a chance. I want my child to be in a local authority school. And I know how I feel about that. And I'm not going to try, I'll give my opinion. And I'll try and be balanced about it. Well, I'm not going to try and be balanced about it. I'm going to <laughs> if they decided to multi-academy trust my child's primary school, I'd be outside there. 
I'm telling the reason why it's fine as it is. It's a good little school. I, as a parent, am extremely happy with it. My wife is a governor of that school, and my friends who send their ch children, to, children to that school as well, are satisfied with the situation. That's what it's not just one subject. The school doesn't need that. What it does need is it needs a couple of extra staff. It needs a couple of new buildings. It needs a football pitch that's not got more um, logistics or everything that's struggling to attend the football pitch. It would be sky higher every time, never mind one or two. The thing is that you need a lot of things. It doesn't need to be like the kind of trust. It needs to be like it needs a lot TS. But it doesn't, what it doesn't need is to be brought under the Mobley Academy Trust and, and then changed. It's fine, same as what your school was mm. uh, a couple of years ago, Adam. So that's why I would have that view on it. And some people could disagree with that and say they've got you know, great examples of their school which was failing and brought under the umbrella of a Mobley Academy Trust and is successful. I know there are examples of that. And then there are others who are going to say that their school was fine as it was. They were promised going into a Mobley Academy Trust with release economies of scale, they'd earn more money, this would be corporate, it'd be really good, there'd be career opportunities, and it hasn't worked out like that. There are people that have left schools because the Multi Academy Trust has an ethos, and if you don't match that ethos, then you're out. And that's what's been happening with some, some new teachers up and down the country today. You almost now have to match the Multi Academy Trust to your own philosophy a little bit. So there is a little bit of that now where some teachers are searching for not just the school, they have to look at the multi-academy trust and say, can I work for that multi-academy trust? What is their reputation like? Uh, and equally, it's up to preference. So one person's multi-academy trust in hell might be another person's multi-academy trust from hell. But that's the problem is, is that we have a system now which is so different and the variations are so high. But I do long for the days when you had a local government. And one of the things that I liked about local government, I was a government school. Twenty people in a room making decisions about that school. Two members of staff, parents, foundation governors, chair governors, and the head teacher. And you had a committee of people. And it was just about the head teacher. He had to bring his stuff to the to the, to that committee, and everybody got a say in it. And I like that. And I tell you why I like that. That was democracy. And that is people talking, listening and then sharing within the community. And every single person within that room had the best interests of the school at heart. Not how much money, not about money, about education. All were governors because they cared. And that's where I think we've lost a little bit of element of decision-making when it comes to people being accountable to schools. When you look at the number of people going to the press, the last couple of years, there's been an explosion of local news stories, child kicking off about her policy, mother kicking off about the child being excluded, New new policy from new multi academy trust about uniform, her policy, walking down a corridor, in the different stops. It seems that the press seems to love these news stories. You pick up a local newspaper, there's probably a news story about trusts and lots of connection that you will have with local communities because they are now part of a family of 25 schools stretching over a geographical distance. I think you lose your that connection, that community, that context that works at an individual lower level, as opposed to now you're part of a multi academy trust which stretches nationwide. And that's what I think we're losing the essence of education. In a way, maybe that's why they put the brakes on, on this policy. However, it will still continue. 
to a caravanism, but they're not going to force a caravanization. Mm. So they haven't abandoned the caravanization, and that is this is a familiar story, because it's like grammar schools. They're not going to build any new grammar schools, mm. but they're not going to scrap them. Yeah. Private schools, they're not going to close them down, but Labour wants to tax them, but the Conservative Party are going to keep them. Mm. Um, academies, multi-academy trusts are here to stay. They're not going to force people to join them, but they're going to encourage people to join them. So where are we in education? Yeah, but that's that because that all sounds a bit kind of focus groupy, doesn't it? In in term in terms of policy, because if you, if you look to the data, and I've just picked this up from the uh, local government uh, website, is that if you look at again, you talked about Michael Gove, kind of not looking at evidence, is that the evidence suggests at the minute just suggests again, I'm not saying this this is kind of one measure. Again, if we're looking at success is that 92% of uh, council-maintained schools, or the old LEA uh, schools, um, are rated outstanding or good by Ofsted in January 2022, compared to 82%. So if you look at you know certain measures and... The only problem I have with that statistic mm. might be, and this is me playing devil's advocate, yeah, yeah. is would the schools that were failing have gone into multi-academy trusts because they were pushed into multi-academy trusts. Yeah. So that might be a misleading statistic mm. because what you might have there is those are the schools that were already very good. Therefore, there was less emphasis on converting them to quote-unquote yeah. raised standards. But, but the, 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 white, the, the, the essence of the white paper really was to look at almost, you know, encourage, as you said, this kind of soft word, encouraging uh, all schools to be academies, weren't they? Or to be part of a multi-academy trust. It was the future. That, that was the future. That, that, was, that, that was the big. That was the big. That was the big. That was strategic, the plan. That was the plan. Yeah. That was, and yeah. that's the point. Is that we had a couple of years ago a plan, and we all knew that plan was that eventually schools were going to be all part of multi-academy trusts. Yeah. Some schools decided to say to themselves, "Okay, if this is the direction of travel, we'll do it now. what we'll do is we'll jump." Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah. multi-academy trust was like that. Why? Yeah. Why wait till we're told to go? Yeah. We'll go we'll build, on our terms we'll build the relationship. and we'll bring, and we'll yeah. bring the yeah. schools that we want to. And I would actually use the word, here is the actual word. We will take the schools that we want to rescue. Yeah. So this was done from a, a Catholic school point of view. Mm-hmm. Like instead of, and the idea was, was if there was a feeling Catholic school within a certain geographical area, instead of having it taken over or vulturized, you know, cannibalized by another multi-academy trust, mm-hmm. what we would do is to ensure it's, you know, survival, and also to protect it, we will take it as part of our multi-academy trust and look after it. So I know that the desire to create the multi-academy trust that I'm part of was done from a, a sort of paternalistic point of yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. It was done from a, from a natural point of view of protecting schools of a similar type from forces that could be seen as predatory. Mm. Now, in itself, when you think of it like that, that's almost like, Yes, I'm going to merge you the business with my mergers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's venture capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's, that, that, that's it's, like a hedge, it's like a hedge fund coming yeah. in and kind of stripping the assets and, and moving. But, but you t- exactly, but you're talking about education and you're, you're talking about businesses practices of like, we're going to amalgamate our resources in order to protect ourselves from the, the, the unfavorable conditions of the current business climate. I mean, talking about schools and education, and then you realize, and I have to say, oh, have schools been stealthily privatized? To a certain extent. Well, the assets definitely have got on on paper. They haven't they? It, it, it's, I mean, Adam Curtis talks a lot of this in his work about kind of moving um, state assets into the private 
in, into private hands. Um, and that has been the plan since Thatcher is part of the neoliberalist Ooh. agenda, isn't it? But, but you can't do that if, and here's the interesting yeah. thing, you can't do that if you go back to the very purpose that there are people out there with opinions about education. Mm. And there's a kind of battle for hearts and minds, yeah. isn't and out of which I have my opinion of it because I'm a teacher and also a, a parent. Yeah. But it is a, a battleground, isn't it? It is a battleground to win over public opinion mm. or just to say, all the, all the time. what do the people, what do they stroke, I hate the word, the people desire from their government for their education system? Yeah, yeah. And it does come back to that core question of what is the priority yeah. of education? But, what is its function? Yeah. What is governments meant to do? Yeah. And much like the direction of travel and government now, there seems to be again a retreat of, here's your education policy, well, sort it out yourself. Yeah. You go on ahead. I tell you what, you be in charge of education policy. We'll just check up every once yeah. in a while when things aren't going well. There does seem to be a retreat. However, however I think well. what's really interesting about that battleground currently is that there's so many disaffected voices. There's teachers, there's parents, there's, there's, there's the city, there's CBI, there's small businesses. There's so many people now saying... People that say the critical mass. I think so. That this thing, and this is probably why... The blob of education. The blob, the, um, why um, uh, the education secretary is actually, maybe she's come in as a sensible... I don't know a great deal about her. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that she's actually come in, read the mood music once, looked a bit long term, and said, actually, we can't just do this thing mm. quickly. Um, and actually, um, all the other educators, because it's been, they've been in there such a short amount of time, have not been able to do the, the, the rigor and the, and the reading and all that around it. And actually, when you, when you look at each group and you go, right, well, let's do this. Well, actually, parents will be upset by that because the outcomes of that might cause... It's a bold move. Well, well-being issues. If she's put a stop on yeah, it's a bold move. Teachers will then kind of have a problem with it. Yeah. Actually, that doesn't fill the skills gap of this. This doesn't do this. So it's, again, where does education sit within that Venn diagram? And actually, what do we then need to do to ensure that the people voting for us... Are we sponsored by Venn today? <laughs> No, we're actually sponsored yeah, well, by Witherslack and also John Cat Education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to get some T-shirts, by the way, that say, um, what do you say? I'm going to do my Vygotsky. Vygotsky. Yeah, I, do, do, I, I do my Vygotsky. Do my Vygotsky. By, 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 by Brent Paul. I do my Vygotsky. <laughs> I do. I love my, I love yeah. my not, not to digress, digress, but I thought about a T-shirt last week for you where you said, yeah, I'm, I'm a walking advertising board or something. <laughs> recruitment, uh, recruitment tool. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, it, I, ju I, just, I just think, for me, is there are so many disaffected kind of groups and um, maybe... Um, Maybe what's the name? Gillian. I forgot the name. Just off the Gillian Keegan. Yeah. Maybe Gillian Keegan. Keegan. Yes. So she's 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 coming to the post. Let's give her a juice. Maybe she's actually spoke to the right people. She's gone to the right meetings, and she's actually kind of looked ahead and gone. Well, actually, if we do that, if we pull that lever, this happens. If we pull this lever, they're affected. If we pull this lever. So actually, she might be trapped, and it might be this moment of of time. Bit of a reset. Yeah. Um. There's, there's, a, there's a current feeling in kind of economics, just, just not boring one, but in 1920s, they talked about that there's actually a kind of reset 
and the the 20th century actually started in 1920 there's a bit of a kind of paradigm shift mm. paradigm maybe 2022 23 is the paradigm shift maybe there's that thing of actually this is where we get to for the 21st 22nd century what this actually looks like because it's not fulfilling um a lot of purposes at the moment back up your point uh again how these stories are connected over half a million young people are not in work of education and are not looking for employment the highest number in five years between july and september 490,000 16 to 24 year olds were classed as not in employment neat mm. or in education so there's your neat or economically active according to the, the labor party analysis for office of national statistics data the increase comes from the following of the winding up of the government's two billion pound kickstart scheme mm. which was launched in 2020 to help 16 to 24 year olds at risk of long-term unemployment by subsidizing six-month job placements there's back to what you were saying about life skills in february the public accounts committee the pse ruled the scheme had supported far fewer young people than predicted quote unquote with a chaotic delivery so again they had the right idea this is couldn't execute it and the result is there's a group of 490,000 young people in our country at the moment who are probably sitting in their xboxes right now and and that's and, and i have to say are they failing? Are they being failed? Yeah. Or is something going wrong in the sixth wealthiest country in the world where we have 490,000 young people sitting there with their hands on their hand? You know, and it's not as if, here's the, here's the real thing. There's, there's well over a million vacancies. Now, are they capable of filling those vacancies? Or, here's the other side, the other side of it, do they really want to fill those vacancies? Mm-hmm. Because as you said, the confidence, the social mobility, the desire, the, the drive, something's gone wrong there something very fundamentally is wrong with our with and we could blame the young people because i know some newspapers will go oh young people are work shy this like yeah, you know and then they go for that stereotype and i don't think that's fair no because we have to say to ourselves if i plant if i plant my my my, my um my, my if i put something in, in, in a wrong a wrong plant in the wrong pot with the wrong soil and it doesn't grow i could blame the plant yeah the plant didn't do what you wanted yeah to the do. plant that's a terrible plant <laughs> But if I don't water it, nurture it, feed it, give it the right light and energy, then it won't bloom. And, and I'm sorry, <laughs> we've got to look to that and stop blaming the kids and say, well, yeah, they have to take some responsibility. Absolutely. And so do their parents and so does society. But we have to look at how we've helped create. And then what are we doing? There's the problem. And there was a solution. And now we have, and now you ask yourself a question, 490 young people, 1,000 young people sitting in our hands. How many of those will go into nefarious schemes? How many of those can go into the black economy? How many of those will be on benefits? That has massive implications for our society. And yet, there it is. It's exactly what we're talking about. That education has not allowed these young people to turn. Um, let's suggest then, as regards the white paper, the public is talking about still keeping elements of this wallpaper. They're not, they're not going to put the schools bill through. The schools bill will allow them the, the kind of legislation to force the agenda. They still have the schools bill, which will still be on the statute books, which allows them to continue the policies. So what you have is a situation where they're going to continue the policies of increasing multi-academy trusts, but they don't have, they don't have a stick to beat you in. So they're going to try possibly the carrot before, or they haven't abandoned it. So again, it's a bit confusing of, we are trying to predict now what next 2023 is going to hold. Yeah. Will more schools convert to multi-academy trust? 
Because if you're a governor of a school now saying to yourself, my, my, my local school, you now say to yourself, I don't need to move to a multi-academy trust, therefore I'm not. So for me, this is a bit like when you say scrapped or mothballed. This is the type of thing that slowly kills a policy by death by a thousand points. Yeah, but so I, I just wonder sometimes if, you know, when you're coming up with these policies, mm. who is who is in the room with them? And I think that's been the problem. Civil services. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're, they're advisors, they're, yeah. they're, special, they're special advisors. But we know, don't we, because we discussed this last week, of where that pool of people is coming from and what is their kind of view on these things. Mm. Are they are they the right people to be in in the in the room? Have they got the experience? Um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, if you look if you look at the amount of people who have been education secretary, mm. it's almost like a, a scattergun approach, isn't it, to anybody that wants the wants the job or who is able to the job. It's not necessarily they've got a particular um, knowledge or understanding of something else. You wouldn't put someone in as CEO of your company, would you? Who, no. who, who didn't who didn't have a natural um, existence within that field just to kind of randomly kind of put them in place um so I sometimes wonder whether the actual people um in the room really kind of understand or comprehend kind of what's going on you need a broad i mean they go back to it like my governing body mm. and one of the reasons why i love being a, a school governor is that i, I saw myself as the representative and sometimes a little bit of sway, mm. which I liked. But that's one of the reasons why I went to my college and said, elect me as your special governor. I have no problem being the person in the room that raises the hand and go, why are we doing this? What is the purpose? But equally, I had such a candid, I, I, I really had a very a, a radical candor with my um, with my governing body at that time. They'd ask me, what does the staff think about that? And of course, I would never have to say individual staff members, but I was able to communicate link between staff to the governing body of this is how the staff feel about this policy, they don't like it. Mm. And, and of course, I would never go into governors and speak on their behalf unless I'd spoken to the, the crux of it. And it afforded me that position to grease the wheels and even say, this is how your staff feel. And sometimes for the head teacher, I would always give him a heads up and say, look, when this comes up, I'm not going to undermine you, head teacher. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, this is not personal. This is how your staff feel. And over time, I built a good relationship with him, an honest relationship of, of almost, look, I don't want I, I don't want to take this into the staff governing body. Can we have a, a conversation about this now before? And, and that means, you know, I didn't undermine him. Equally, he finds out what staff are really thinking, and sometimes him and I were on the same page. And that allowed us to, to sort of create a, a, a kind of, this is the, what we both want. We want the school to function. We want staff to be happy. We want people to come to work. We want people to feel safe. We want the, the, the kids to do well. We want parents to be happy about the school. We all wanted the same thing, but we all had different agendas in the sense of the different people we're looking after. But that's what it worked. It worked because it was collaborative. It worked because I was coming from a different different, different point of view, representing a different group of people and adding to the mix and the spice. Some of the new governing bodies, like the multi-cabinet trusts, was the diversity. We're in the, the governing mm. body. I think your school has to have local people who have a vested interest in the school. When I say it again, I've never seen so many complaints in the media, which actually doesn't help our profession because it's 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 like sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a policy of a certain school, a certain trust, and, it, and then you get the teachers get it, and you're like, well, we're just instituting the policy of our employer, not the government. Um, so I think that 
some things are broken, you know, we are paying a price for in our profession, and I think that's fair enough. Going back to your point about apprenticeships, mm. new research reveals that overall number of apprentices starts and under school of economics and universities, find that poorer school leavers are particularly underrepresented in higher level apprenticeships, which is exactly what we're talking about the area and the, the school used to teach. Mm -hmm. The research also shows that a higher proportion of students taking ordinary degree had been on free school meals than those who started the apprenticeship last year. The share of apprenticeships in all levels, the areas the country with an increase in disproportionately from the expansion of degree apprentices, striking higher and degree apprentices are not university degree. It's hard to see higher and degree apprenticeships as a way to widen opportunities. Where you have your, your working class child gets an apprenticeship and is able to get an apprenticeship and a degree, that would start to be narrower and narrower. Again, everywhere you turn, you have a liberal return. That means that we are getting these apprenticeships from backgrounds of the So all the evidence is there, all the evidence you can see there that. We do need to have a really branch conversation about what the function of education is, yeah. and I think we need a plan. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, we're coming full circle is we have everything on hold. We have grammar schools on hold, we have private schools on hold, we have multi county trusts on hold. On hold. I can do I can do the Labour thing with a shout out there from the on hold. On hold, on hold, on hold. But the reality is this, and um, we, we started to talk about 2023. What is the reality of current situation in education? Mm. Recruitment retention. Paying conditions, SEM, children's mental health, examination systems. I mean, seriously, you look at all of the things that are going on, and we need we need instant responses. We need a we need we need, we need instant fixes to long term problems. Mm -hmm. But I take your point. Maybe the education secretary is waiting for those long term fixes. Yeah. But the longer that that is waited for, the more desperate the situation becomes. You're talking even things like your heating and your energy bills. Yeah. So we, we see, for instance, like um, government has announced that schools and colleges in are set to receive a share of five million pounds to spend on energy efficiency upgrades, which could include installing better heating controls. The funding means an average primary school will see probably sixteen thousand pounds, a secondary school will forty two thousand pounds. That's great, but really, that's five hundred million pounds to make our schools more energy efficient. Versus, a lot of evidence suggests we need fifteen billion. Well, five hundred million doesn't 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 even build your school. I mean, how, how much how much how much a large comprehensive school to build? I mean, this this strikes to me like during the COVID crisis, instead of actually sending ventilation systems, we got sent air monitors. <laughs> you know, we got sent monitors to monitor yeah. the air quality, but actually no way to change the air quality. So there is a recognition that there is an issue there, but there's a small amount of funding, and it's the same with the white paper. The government would say it's putting an extra five billion into education, and the education budget is higher than it's been for a long while. But the demand is such when you have not funded things successfully over years, you have latent funding gaps. There's things that you put off doing. It's a bit like my house. If I didn't repair my house for twenty years, I wouldn't come along and say, "Here, here's here's one repair." 
what you have there is you have 20 years worth of repairs that you have to upgrade before you come and, and, and do the repair that you need to do. Same as your car. When you put your car in for service, you didn't put your car in for service for four or five years. You could expect a hefty service bill. That's right. Yeah. But that's why you put your car in. It accumulates, doesn't it? Well, what do you do? You put your car into a service, yeah. don't you, every year? And if you look after your car and you maintain it and you buy the best parts and, and you don't drive it too badly, mm. you know, your service shouldn't be too hard. Maybe you get unlucky sometimes. Mm. But that's the problem with education. When you when you have not underfunded it for so long, when you haven't neglected it in such a way and you've done what you've done, which we know where we are, then more than £500 million is going to be needed to make schools more energy efficient because that, that's going to mean £16,000 for a primary school would buy what? A new boiler, maybe, if you're lucky. Yeah. What about the windows? Yeah, yeah. What about the insulation? It's kind of pointless. <laughs> and especially if you're in a porting cabin, <laughs> especially if you're in an old red brick Victorian building, yeah. which has got more leaks than the Titanic. Yeah. So overall, I think it's a it's a confusing picture in education at the moment. We need a plan. Um, we need a plan. We, we need a plan. We need a strategy. We need to be long term. We need to know the direction of travel. Strategic. Strategic. We need to know what um, what that looks like, and then like like if you like if you're planning anything, you put the plan in place, don't you? And then you put the res- then you start to build the resources. Like, like I literally do this with my students. You know, you you, you choose they, they they do a. Uh, BTEC business, they have to they do an exam where they have to kind of choose an option. They then have to look at how they resource it. What what are the, what's the human physical, you know, um, gant, the, the time that's required. So, children, children. Are we talking a Maslow hierarchy of <laughs> school needs? <laughs> well, we need we need something, don't we? But uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, Brent. So one uh, last little yeah, story. Last thing I want to highlight, and then we we we'll start wrapping up. Um, Pupils to be served more frozen food to save money. <laughs> food wholesale firm Bird Food have published advice for schools on stretching their budgets, which includes swapping fresh food for frozen and consider using cheaper cuts of meat to save cost. The chief executive said earlier this year that soaring inflation would lead to some difficult questions and decisions for schools and caterers. Either they're going to serve smaller portions or use cheaper ingredients, which isn't going to be good for the children. Separate research by the school catering body, Lega, found that food prices in school canteens have written by th- risen by 30% since May. You see, in my Maslow hierarchy of needs, I think that is extremely important. And I know that there is a bill being tabled this week um, about free school meals. Because when it comes down to it, what we're talking about desire is, is education policies. That that's at the top end. That's at the real minutiae, the vision, the philosophy, the, the, the actual government policies. But when it actually comes down to what's going on in schools, all this impacts on the day-to-day business of how the schools are run, how the heating is kept on, how do we recruit the teachers, how do we keep the children happy, safe. Um, it's just we are in survival mode, aren't we? We, we are we're in survival mode. So I would say that the future of 2023 has to be twofold. Our education secretary and the powers that be, the people running education, need to instantly respond to these desires and needs from budget funding to teacher recruitment to the teachers' pay, the strikes. These are the immediate in-tray items. The other thing they need to do is come up with their philosophy and their plan and the long-term strategic vision for education. And number three, if I was to give them any advice, I would prefer them to stay away from the culture wars. And I would prefer them to stay away from these headline-grabbing, ridiculous stuff that we see about uh, privilege and everything else. I think our education secretary would be better versed in staying closer to the actual realities of the things that are needed rather than the headline-grabbing education minister comes out with this and i would say that from any of the political parties or anybody involved in education the desire is there for us to get the maslow hierarchy of needs 
the food, the money, the security, and the survival first. Then I suppose, once we've got that, we can start to talk about the long-term strategic future and vision of how we organize our schools. And at the moment, I don't see much information coming out on that, except the odd tokenism of 500 million pounds for more energy efficiency, which I would also say, will that ever be delivered? And when will that be delivered? Much like many other things, we've seen a lot of broken promises. So it's a bit of a grim. So it's a good job that uh, Marcus Rashford is now free. Okay, well, I like the way you're putting a positive spin on last Sorry, week. But, uh, I'll just say one thing about frozen food. I've just, I've, I've just converted um, to frozen sprouts, and I love them. Oh, that's a whole thing. Sprouts, whole thing. sprout or not to sprout? Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Sprouts or not? I'm a, I'm a sprout fan. Many cabbages. I think they're a wonderful food. So let's earn our money. Let's have a. We mention of our sponsors. So uh, our sponsor is John Cat Education. The show was brought to you by them and in partnership with them. They're a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. And please check out their latest releases. Uh, some cracking books that Adam and I were talking about having a read of, of some of our crack yeah, catalogue. There was a P one this week that looked really good, actually. I forwarded it on to my colleague, a P teacher, um, I should forget the name of it, but it looks excellent about kind of uh, happiness in P or some like happiness in... In physical education, it's like that. It looked, it looked really good for some of that. Looked really good. Winning, winning. <laughs> <laughs> so visit johncatbookshop.com. That's J-O-N-C-A-T-T-B-O-K-S-H-O-P.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. So um, our second sponsor is Witherslack Group, and they're a leading provider of our specialist education and care. They need more people like you to help them achieve more. So at Witherslack, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offer a clear path to career progression and reward it with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. I might think about that, actually. Witherslack currently have some fantastic career opportunities available. Uh, to apply for it, please check out www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. Uh, don't forget that we can download this, um, this podcast. Um, you can listen back at your own leisure. You can, uh, of course, uh, comment on any look of this as well. Second, look at the second link that we posted, because uh, we are um, looking around early. Yes, we have plenty <laughs> of links posted to some of the academic yeah, background yeah. and some of the extra reading um, to what we, we presented today as well. Maybe we should um, flip learning. We should put the earlier so our listeners can do a bit of research before. Should probably, but then remember that we, we, we're a bit organic sometimes. <laughs> we, 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 we've got to do our homework before. Well, we do, but it sure evolves. That's the whole beautiful thing about it. It it should evolve naturally and organically. Don't forget to check out some of the other podcasts and some of the other um, broadcasts from some of our excellent presenters. And also, you may want to join us at Teachers Talk Radio. Become one with the Borg and you will be assimilated and your essence will be added to to the blob that is Teachers Talk Radio. Essence. Essence. Your essence (laughs) will be added to the collective. What what essence have you got is it, is it gone Christmas? Is it gone like cinnamon? No, my my essence is just pure fire water, my friend. I, I just my essence is like like Irish distilled oh, okay. whiskey. Yeah, you know what I mean? Nice, yeah. You know, uh, like Neil Nielsen on a good mood. Yeah, you know, okay. I yeah. will find you. Um, so my essence is probably somebody said to me, "What would your aura be? Would it be like yellow, or would it be like you know green?" It's like no, it's just fire, bright red, red. You know, red. it's the way you want to be. But don't forget to to you might want to come join us. You might want to host this. It's really good fun. Uh, it's excellent, excellent CV on your CV as well. If you want to do something like this in the future, so thank you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. This has been a Teachers Talk Radio production with me, Brett Poland, and me, Adam Spence, and wrap up warm next week. Minus tennis. On average, minus nine. Let's talk Christmas next week.
or is it the Daily Express? It's going to snow. Yeah. What's the deal for that once a week? Anyway, nice one. Have a good week. Bye bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.